um, in that. So, uh, all right, before we jump in really quick, I just have to tell you that sometimes, you know, like if you've been to church, one church, you've been to all of them, you know, and that, I, I think Canvas is very unique. And it, it, in, it, in, in case we needed anything to affirm that, um, then we just had Natalie, you know, talk about Kid Rock on there. You're not going to get that anywhere else this morning. I very much doubt you're going to get that duplicated experience. Um, so there you go. <clears throat> you won't have that. So, hey, one other quick announcement to make to you before we, uh, before we dive into today's teaching. Um, next Sunday, so a week from this Sunday, um, I've been really wanting to encourage this group to get involved with this organization for a while. Um, in northwest Arkansas, a little over two years ago, there started a, um, uh, an event called Beer and Hymns. And Casey, Ken and Casey Weatherford, who are the, um, the, pa- the worship pastors at First United Methodist in Bentonville, um, they run this event called Beer and Hymns. And basically what it is is um, they meet at, uh, well, they're, they, they're meeting at several locations now. One of them is Bike Rack in Bentonville. And uh, when they get together on a monthly basis, they are themselves a nonprofit that raises money for other local nonprofits in Northwest Arkansas. And it's really an experience like, um, like none other. Um, when we came the first time, you get a song sheet because they have a theme each month. So um, on March 8th, next Sunday, it'll be, um, because it's March, it's Irish um, themed uh, music. So... Last month, I think, was because of February was love songs and that. What they'll do is you'll have a song sheet, and every other song will be um, something along with that hymn. So like last month, it was a love song, and then there's a hymn. And they have all these different hymns that are incorporated in. You kind of say, well, isn't that kind of weird to go to like a Beatles night, you sing a Beatles song, and then you sing sing a hymn? All I can tell you is you've got to come and experience this. Some of you went to Beer and Carols. That's a little different Beer, beer and hymns, when they, they meet regularly month to month, is more of kind of a community feel. It's, it's a family-friendly event. Um, you will see um, older couples, younger couples, singles, young children running around and playing, and it's out in the community, and it's one of the most worshipful experiences that I've actually been a part of, right at smack dab in the community. There's something very gospel-centric about it. I know it sounds weird to be, again, in a church where the pastor's advertising an event called Beer and Hymns, but you know what? This is just who we are. And, uh, and so I would love for you to join me, whether you like beer or not. If you just want to be out in your community and, and worshiping alongside of other people in a way that you probably have never experienced before, I challenge you to do this. Um, and uh, so that'll be next Sunday at 5 o'clock, I believe. Is it 5 or 5.30? I think it's 5.30. So 5.30. Don't come at 5. Um, or maybe come at 5 so you can get there on time. Um, it's at Bike Rack, which is at 8th Street Market. So um, bring, a la- uh, bring a lawn chair um, because the outside spaces get filled up pretty quick. I mean... The, the band kind of plays in the in, indoor space, but that's really, really tiny. So bring a lawn chair in that. Um, it's it's really, a, a, it's going to be a good time together. So that's, that's next week. All right. Um, we're going to jump into our teaching this morning. Last week, I gave you guys a lot of information to process 
um, as an introduction to the season of Lent to explain why we... Um, why, why we're doing this, why we're observing it, why it's important, what its history and background is, um, what its original purpose uh, was intended to be. And, and then uh, I gave you guys, talked about resources in that, that, that were going to be provided to you throughout these, um, this 40-day this period leading into Easter. Um, this morning, I, I want to jump in right away. We're going to talk about, oh, just a a really exciting topic that I think um, people are, are going to be just pumped about, and that's fasting. Um, everybody loves that, the idea of giving up food. It's like, it's fantastic. Um, it's actually a very, very under-practiced spiritual discipline. It's something that we don't understand enough, and yet it's incorporated all throughout uh, the scriptures. Um, it dates back to ancient times. It's, it's common to nearly every religion in the world. It's mentioned in Scripture more than the word baptism is. But it's just something that we don't do. You like, uh, honestly, Natalie mentioned the whole running thing. I feel like when, um, when you try to talk to somebody about fasting, it's kind of like I, I was talking to some friends that we were gathered together on Friday night, and I was trying to explain to them um, the the benefits that I've been receiving from running, you know, and that. And you can tell that they're, they comprehend, but they're, they're also looking at you like, great. Um, you know, it's like, uh, good for you, man. I'm, I'm more power to you, better you than me. Um, and, and when you talk to people about fasting, they can kind of have that same look in their eyes like, great, <laughs> you know, like, good for you. Um, but in recent times, though, fasting has gotten a lot of attention um, because it's become more of a practice thing than just a spiritual practice. You're seeing a lot of people who participate in intermittent fasting, which there's a lot of different ways to do that. Maybe some of you have done that in here. Maybe you've heard about it. Um, a, a lot of times the way people approach that is they fast breakfast, um, and then they only eat within like this eight hour time span, like between one at 1 PM and 9 PM or 12 and, and eight. And basically they allow their bodies like 16 hours of, of fasting time. And, um, and so, you know, we've, we've heard about it. Um, but when fasting is coupled with, or when it's practiced as a spiritual discipline, it can unlock far more possibilities than can be read on a scale. Um, today, we're going to dive into um, how to get the most out of this spiritual practice, using it as a vital tool, not only for the health of our body, but the health of our souls. So first of all, what is fasting? Fasting is a, a voluntarily abstaining from, it's voluntarily abstaining from something for a limited amount of time. All right. Depending upon what that something is that you're abstaining from, it could be just a matter of days that you abstain from that, or it could be several, several weeks that you decide to do that. Some people will fast from all solid food, but allow themselves to drink juice. Others will fast from certain kinds of food. So in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Christians, for example, fast each Wednesday and Friday from meat, fish, dairy, uh, olive oil, and wine. Now, you can also fast from other things besides food. You can fast from something else that you feel like is kind of like a, a, a held pleasure in your life. You can fast from something that you feel like holds 
a lot of your attention on a regular basis. Like you can fast from technology or um, you can fast from certain behavioral habits. But traditionally, a fast is fasting and, um, and abstaining from food. So like I told you before, it's gotten a lot of attention in recent days. Um, and, and even though the, the information on it is, is relatively new, uh, it can help you to lose weight. It can help you to normalize insulin levels, boost the immune system, increase human growth hormone, spur cell regeneration, and extend the longevity of your life. Basically, when you give your body a break from processing food, fat stores are fed upon, and your cells get a chance to go into repair mode. So that means that the old and damaged ones um, are, are, dis are discarded, they're destroyed, and then new cells have a chance to be generated. As Father Thomas Ryan puts it in his book, The Sacred Art of Fasting, abstaining from food gives the body a chance to renew itself. It's a time in which the body burns its rubbish. It's like house cleaning. So in addition to the physical benefit, many practitioners have also said that a fast will help sharpen your, your, your mind. It'll help you to focus better than what you're able to on a normal basis. And while the spiritual discipline of fasting isn't primarily about the physical health, these benefits that we receive from our bodies during a fast should not be entirely separated from its purpose either. As Ryan explains, the discipline integrates both the body and the soul. I like this quote a lot. And uh, here it is. It doesn't have to be either or. It can and should be both because we're not just bodies and we're not just spirits. We are embodied spirits and in spirited flesh. What is good for me physically is good for me. And what is good for me spiritually is good for me. There's only one me to which it all comes back to. So that being said, understand that in practicing fasting as a spiritual discipline, the physical is secondary. So when we're having hunger, when we recognize that we are hungry, that hunger in our bodies is supposed to lead us to an awareness of the hunger that we have in our soul. What's interesting, what I find interesting, in fact, when, when looking at these two, the, the physical and the spiritual benefit, is that the physical benefits of fasting actually mirror very much the spiritual ones as well. Because in the same way that the, the, the physical benefits, that they, they, they balance the body's hormones and they renew its cells, Spiritual benefits of fasting are that it recalibrates the soul's priorities. It repairs places in, one character, in one's character that is damaged, that is needing healing, that is needing to, to go through a detox, right? In fasting, you both purify the body and you clarify the soul. Now, let me say this. Fasting doesn't ultimately rise to the level of being a spiritual discipline unless you approach it intentionally in that manner. So if you, don't, if you go into a fast and you're not really approaching it from, uh, from the level of saying, okay, I, I want to gain, um, 
I want to gain something spiritually from this process. If you don't go in with that intention, then you may receive the benefits to the body, but you're probably not going to receive as much benefit to your soul. Um, now, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about a little bit about the, the value of fasting, some of the purpose. And, and that varies from faith tradition to faith tradition as to how they view, um, you know, the spiritual aim of fasting. But there are many purposes that cut across all schools of belief and philosophy. So I'm not going to give you or even try to give you an exhaustive list of those benefits, but we are going to hone in on a few of them this morning that I think are important for us. So the first is this. Fasting teaches us that discomfort doesn't always equal bad. All right, so if you're taking notes, let me say that again. Fasting teaches us that discomfort doesn't necessarily equal bad. All right? It's arguably the most countercultural spiritual discipline that we have. A lot of times, if you were to go out and talk to people about it, um, I, I think now anymore, um, people are familiar enough with intermittent fasting that if you kind of honed in on that side of things, they wouldn't look at you as weird. But when you try to tell people that you would voluntarily give up food because it's going to have some sort of spiritual benefit to you, the rest of the world has a tendency to look at you and go, what? Why? Right? Because we live in a culture, in a climate that is uh, everything that we want is now, all right? We live, every, every environment that we go into is climate controlled. Food can be ordered at a press of the button. Entertainment can be perfectly curated to our personal liking and taste. And we, we feel entitled to satisfy every desire that we have immediately. So anything uncomfortable to us, anything that's inconvenient seems wholly unnecessary and like just an, like an annoyance, like why? Why do I have to wait? That's so lame. We expect to be ever full all the time. Ever full all the time. And yet fullness isn't necessarily good and emptiness isn't necessarily bad. The constant craving for pleasure can be detrimental and occasionally discomfort is exactly what we need in order to grow. Richard Foster, who wrote a great book about spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Discipline, gave this insight. He says, the first truth that was revealed to me in my early experiences in fasting was my lust for good feelings. It certainly is not a bad thing to feel good, but we must be able to bring that feeling to an easy place where it does not control us. Culturally, we know and we accept things like, hey, if we want to get into shape, it's probably going to be painful in the beginning. I go and get a gym membership, and the first you know, week or so that I'm working out, I'm, I'm, going, to be, I'm going to be limping or I'm going to be dragging. You know, and that we know that we kind of, can, can accept that whole no pain, no gain thing when it comes to certain types of activity. But when we, we rarely carry that kind of acceptance into other areas of our lives. Sometimes, almost always, in fact, you have to make, we, we have to make ourselves uncomfortable 
if we're going to grow. There's going to be some pain if we're going to actually come out on the other side and find true healing. If we're going to get better, there's going to probably be some discomfort. Sometimes you have to be empty in order to be filled. So another benefit of fasting is that fasting strengthens the will. The will of the Spirit is a muscle, just like any other, much like any other muscle in our body. So the more that it's exercised, the stronger it becomes. And fasting gives our willpower muscle uh, an incomparable workout. I mean, it really does. Uh, Not only does it build its strength concerning what we consume, but in all areas of our life. So this is, this is where fasting ties into the concept of simplicity in the way that we approach life. And we've talked about that in here too, about slowing down things and not being so busy, not being so, tra- not being so distracted. This is where fasting comes into play because in order to live a simple life, we must keep our purpose-driven priorities, meaning our loves and our passions and the things that we're spending and allowing to consume our time. We've got to keep those things ordered properly, not just in order, but in proper order. Fasting provides this concrete, visceral practice where we are making a conscious decision to choose higher principles over lower appetites. So when we're feeling physical hunger, and we're, and, and, I mean, and that's real, and we, 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 that, that feeling is all around us, and yet we push back away from it, it teaches us something. It teaches us that my body is not the boss of me. My body's not the boss of me. It, 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 I don't get marching orders from my, my stomach. Um, there are a lot of times, though, that I, I have in the past, but that's not the way it's intended to be. We teach ourselves that we are the master of our appetites instead of a slave to those things. So in fasting, when we face down our appetite for food, um, and, and when, we, when we face down that appetite, and when we overcome that insatiable desire to eat, we actually realize that we have these other desires. It starts to make us wonder, okay, if I can push back away from that, what other desires do I have that are very controlling in my world that seem to scream and demand to be answered right now? Maybe they can be delayed. Maybe they can be postponed. Maybe I can do without that thing right now. We can control the things that seek to control us. Self-restraint built by fasting from food becomes an aid in keeping our priorities straight. It helps us get a better grip in what is normally a constant battle between short-term pleasures in our lives and long-term goals. It becomes this concrete practice like none other that helps us work on this thing, this thing that can often be nebulous that we call our character. We say that God is really concerned about who we are becoming and becoming like Jesus and our character being shaped and transformed into his likeness. But that can sometimes seem very nebulous. Like, how do I do that? How do I work on myself? How do I work on my character? Here is a concrete practice that will aid us in that. 
Here's another thing. Fasting intensifies prayer. So when we take fasting and we pair it with prayer, now our intention just really hones in. The sincerity of why we're doing what we're doing, it really focuses and narrows in. Here's another thing it does when we bring prayer into it. A lot of people choose a fast based upon um, some sort of particular purpose that they're in need of. So that they're, they're in need of guidance over a very important decision that they feel like might be life-changing for them. So they move into a fast for that period of time to gain wisdom. Or there's a loved one that they're very concerned for and they're praying for healing. And so they let, let that be the purpose of their fast. So what happens in that kind of situation and setting is that then when the hunger pangs hit us, the intention is that when we're feeling that physical drive towards food, that it would be a prompt for us to move into prayer and to press in and to communicate with God and to listen to him and what he has to say in response. So think about that. People who pray and fast probably pray a lot more often if, they are, if they're using that feeling, that physical feeling to initiate connection with God. There's an author uh, whose name is Lynn Babb who compares it to this kind of practice. She said it's like tying a ribbon around your finger to remind you of God in his presence. So if you're struggling with a particular decision in your life or the right direction to go in, rather than just praying about it, I encourage you to do something different. Couple those prayers with a fast, and see what God might do. Fasting also establishes rhythm. In many religions, feasts are supposed to be preceded by fasts. Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians are asked to fast on Good Friday before the celebration of Easter. Jews are to fast 25 hours for Yom Kippur before ending the holy day with a large festive meal. And the converse is true. Christians Feast on Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras before the fasting of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. And Jews feast the afternoon before the fast of Yom Kippur begins. So what is, that's, that's a normal practice in a lot of different religions and faith traditions. But what is normal in our culture, in our lives, is different than that. Rather than participating in this rhythmic cycle of fasting and feasting, most of us just stay in a a state of feasting at all times. We're just full. And so then when we go to holidays, we just get more full, right? It's just, uh, I'm already full. I'm at the state of fullness. But hey, now there's a holiday. I have a chance to get even more full. And that's that's what we do. We just live in that, um, we just kind of gorge out. And, and, and what happens in that is there's no rhythm. There's no texture to our days. There's no yin, 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 hello, yin and yang. There's no yin and yang. There's no, there's no variance. We haven't given ourselves a break to build up anticipation for the holidays. So then the holidays just kind of start to become, eh, you know, not as important. Maybe you've heard of something called the hedonic treadmill. The hedonic treadmill is this idea, oh, it's not an idea, it's real, 
It's, it's, it's that we, most people are very much attracted to new. Marketers know this. They have had a grip on this idea forever. It's completely the way they market to us. We are utterly um, consumed by the idea of new. New gets us very excited. Um, new and new and improving. So it doesn't even have to be a new thing. In fact, half the time, the things that are marketed towards us are not new, right? We just tweaked this and tweaked that and gave it a different color and we called it new and then we went and stood in line and bought it. I mean, that's just the way we are. But the hedonic treadmill is an awareness of this idea that anything that we grab hold of that is new, we quickly adapt to it and then that pleasure begins to diminish. So what has to happen is that in order to get that that high back again, we got to run after more and more and more. And that fuels a lot of our capitalistic culture. I mean, it just does. I mean, we are just chasing it. We want that experience either from a new item or from a new thing or from a new person, whatever. We like new. But of course, when we go after that and we give ourselves over to it, that cycle just repeats itself over and over again. And we end up stuck in this endless, unsatisfying wheel of desire. What fasting does is it breaks into that cycle. It interrupts and it resets the hedonic treadmill. It restores an anticipation for eating that has long grown dull. Through fasting, our normally saturated senses, they get a chance to get a break. And now we actually recalibrate we start to build up anticipation again. And when we eat again, like it, gets, it gives us back a bit of that newness and that feeling of like, wow, this tastes better than I ever remembered it to. When I was in Boy Scouts uh, growing up, um, we'd go on these long hikes. Uh, maybe some of you guys hike in here. But um, if you've ever been on a long hike and then you go to have a meal, it's like the best meal ever, right? And we're talking about stuff that shouldn't be good, all right? Because when I was, I, 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 can, I can close my eyes and I can, I, I can transport myself to being at the fire and eat after a long hike and eating what I thought was just the best meal in my life. And in reality, it was macaroni and cheese, Vienna sausages, and peas. That sounds terrible. Or maybe it sounds good to you. I don't know. No judgment. But um, although if that's what you like, there's like a whole universe I'd like to introduce you to. Um, but I'm just saying, um, yeah. Um, but no, I remember that, that stuff tasted amazing. I mean, like amazing because my senses had, you know, we were out on a hike. We were expending our energy in different ways. We had to break away from that. And then when all of a sudden we had a building up anticipation for that meal, and then food tastes really, really, really good. Here's another thing. Fasting fosters gratitude and humility. Fasting can not only increase our pleasure for eating, but it can make us very grateful for the food that we have. Go without it for a time, and you're less likely to take it for granted. I mean, that, there, you know, anything that we have in excess, and I mean, it's not that we don't have people in the United States that go hungry, we actually have a lot of that that we're unaware of, even in Northwest Arkansas, even right in our backyard or front yard. Um, but I think we become unaware of that because for the most part, 
we have in it, it compared to the rest of the world, we have it in excess. We have it in abundance. We waste food while other people are at a total scarcity for it. And so anything that we have in abundance like that, we, we run the danger of taking it for granted. And so go without it for a time, and we can become a lot more grateful. Fasting also um, can bring us to a place of humility. It can help us to contend with things like our own mortality, the fact that we're, we're finite creatures. We're not, we're not infinite, um, and we're not invincible. It helps us to realize things like our own weaknesses, our own brokenness, our own neediness, because we are fragile creatures that are relying on a constant intake of food. We go without it for several weeks. What happens? We die. All right? We are not invincible. Now, pride is the opposite of humility, which is why we are also guided in Scripture not to exalt ourselves, not to draw attention to ourselves when we fast. This isn't something to try to get God's attention or the attention of other people. And so look what Jesus teaches us about this in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, let's look at those verses together on the screen. It says this in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He, he would not even look up to, the, to heaven but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Fasting is an act of obedience to God. It's not a way for us to get his attention or the attention of others. It's for us to understand that we ourselves are not God. We are to marvel in his holy presence and to recognize that we are not, we are to be humbled by that and recognize that we, um, we need him. We need him. It can result in humble reflection and it can increase our dependence upon God. So those are just a few things. I told you I'm not giving you an exhaustive. Those are a few things, few benefits and purposes of fasting. Um, but as we kind of wrap up this subject for today, and, and really this is just a taste for you, um, I, I encourage you to look into this subject matter. As we go through these different spiritual disciplines over these 40 days, I'm giving you a glimpse of something that you can plunge much deeper, and I encourage you to do so in God's word. But let me tell you a little bit about what fasting is not. Okay, fasting is not just a short obedient, short uh, period of obedience to God. This is one of the reasons why historically people have kind of abandoned Lent, and they've thought, uh, I, don't, I don't sense any purpose in it. It's just kind of like going through the motions, or isn't that like just saying, uh, you know, like, because if we choose 
to eliminate something that we consciously know is bad for us, but we only say, hey, I'm just going to do this for a couple weeks. But hey, look at me. I'm going to do this for a couple. It's like we're saying to God, God, I know this, you know, I, God, I know this thing is bad for me, and you know what? I'm going to be good, but just for a few weeks. And the rest of the time, you know, like, why would we do that? Especially if we become aware that this thing is harmful to me, or it's, it's pull on me is not healthy. It, fasting during Lent is to kind of get us prepared. It's, well, it's to get us prepared for Easter, but it's to help us to refocus on something that's supposed to be an integrated practice in our lives, period. Not just for the 40 days of Lent, but fasting is supposed to be a discipline that we incorporate into our lives all throughout the year. Here's something else that fasting is not. It's not a trick. What do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes we think that we can outsmart God. We do. So we're like, okay, let's see. What will I give up? Okay, I've got it. God, I'm really going to make a sacrifice for you for these 40 days. I'm going to give up all consumption of liver and, um, and all British television shows. Now, for me, that is like a really easy thing. Maybe for you, it's not. I don't know. Um, but that's no sacrifice to me. Um, um, I'm sorry. I just totally trashed on British television shows. I apologize. I'm just saying I don't need it's not a, it's not a I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just not a sacrifice for me to give up for a 40-day period. That's what I meant by that. So, sorry if, um, if I just hit a sore point. Um, but, no, you're not going to fool God by that. He knows that's not a sacrifice for me. All right? So I don't, I, don't, I don't trick him. He knows my heart. All right? Fasting is also not a spiritual temper tantrum. And I kind of already touched on this, but I want to bring it back again. It's not a way to force God to do what we want him to do for us. So what I mean by that is that we can't approach things from the standpoint of being like, well, I prayed and he didn't answer me, or he didn't answer me the way that I wanted him to answer me. So now I'm going to fast so that I can force his hand. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Neither is it the way it works with prayer in general. Prayer and fasting don't change God they change us. Prayer does not change God or God's mind. It changes us. Same thing with fasting. So we don't throw a spiritual temper tantrum and then our Heavenly Father goes, oh, okay, okay, it's okay. I'll go ahead and do that then. No, he loves us too much. He loves us too much. He knows what we need. So, all right, um, for those of you that are new, there is, uh, Natalie mentioned this during the announcements, but we have an app called Church Center. You can find it through uh, the App Store and iTunes or through the Android Store, depending upon what phone you have. Um, when you go to that, you enter in a zip code. They'll give you a list of churches. You can see our logo for Canvas. You click on that. Um, what that app allows you to do is just kind of keep in communication with the things that are going on here at Canvas. It allows you to be able to look to see what small groups we have going on and to join one of those. And one of those groups that's in there now is called the Lent Experience. And the reason why I created it as a group is because within our groups, when you join or subscribe to a group, um, 
then it'll, it'll change. Like, like the next time you load that screen up or you refresh it, it'll change over and you'll have access to, um, at times, a schedule of events, but in this case, resources. So there is resources that I've placed within there for you during this time for you and for your family um, as you observe Lent. Um, the, one of them that I talked about last week was these videos that are, call, that are called the Lent Experience. Um, they're meant to be watched on Sunday as you get ready to go into the next week. And each week there's a challenge. So there is a Lent Experience challenge that, that starts today for next week. And, and this is what it is. Pick a day this week to fast until dinner. Okay, now, what does that look like? Because as soon as I say that, given the different personality types in the mix that we have in here, some people right away are like, I have a question. I got a question. I got four questions. Um, you know, they got questions in that. And they're going to ask me all these detailed things about what they can or cannot do. Can I have my coffee then? Or what about my juice? I always have my juice. Or I have a Coke. Is a Coke okay if I have, I mean, if coffee's okay, is my Coke okay? You know, and that. And they're going to go through all these things. And I'm going to tell you right now, a while back, if you were here, you remember me talking about what happens when we push boundary stones too close together. If we push boundary stones too close together, it becomes legalism. And I'm not going to be legalistic about this or this challenge, all right? Again, what this is for us in the way of the Lent experience, for some people who regularly practice Lent, they fast through the whole 40 days, okay? What we're attempting to do is there's a lot of us that have never experienced this or have had very little history with these spiritual disciplines. Keep tapping the stand. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of get a taste for these things, and, and a hunger uh, hopefully would develop so that you would want to see them integrated and incorporated into your regular life. So that's why I like that we have a weekly challenge. If you want to continue to fast beyond that point, great. I, I encourage you to do so. But just what we're giving everyone together is for this week, pick one day. And, um, and here's what that will look like for me. Um, I will pick a day this week. I'll get up in the morning. I will have a cup of coffee, because if I don't, I can't, I can't predict the carnage um, that might transpire after. But I will have one. I will have a cup of coffee. I have a tendency to drink coffee through the entire day. I'm like one of those guys. Um, and, uh, but I will have a cup of coffee, and then I won't have anything else to eat um, besides just drinking water until dinner. All right? Now, let me make, let me make this very, very clear. Again, if we just approach this, and there's people already, and I just know it because I gave you an assignment or an objective or a goal, you know, and that, so right away you're like, okay, I'm a, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you're like, you're going to do it, you're going to go after it just because I gave you a challenge. And you might miss what this is really supposed to be about, all right? Again, if we don't go in with a spiritual intent and intention, we're not going to get out of this uh, a spiritual gain. All right, if you're just looking to say, well, well, Bill told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to kick it down. Great. I'll come back, and I'll pat you on the back, and then I'll be like, what did you learn? And you're like, what? I, 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 don't, I don't learn anything, but do I get a star? No. Um, uh, no, I have no stars to hand out or cookies or anything like that. But um, 
If you go into it with the idea of saying, okay, God, I want, as I set aside this time, I want you to draw me closer to you as a result of it. Because for some people, and my wife is one included, giving up breakfast is really not that big of a deal, even though she loves breakfast food more than anything else. In fact, she tried to pull this whole trick, you know, maybe I can, you know, finagle this thing, because she drinks her breakfast or eats it in the car as she's driving away, you know, and that. And so for her to, like, skip over it, it'd be barely noticed. So she was like, maybe what I need to do instead of fasting is that I need to set aside time in my day to have a great breakfast and thank the Lord for all this wonderful pancakes and bacon and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, that's clever. And I don't think that's the way this is supposed to work. So again, I'm not going to be legalistic, but there is some bull that I have to call out. And that's some bull right there, all right? So, um, anyhow, the whole point is, if you're not eating, that you're taking that time, setting, that, uh, setting aside that time, go into that day with the anticipation of connecting with God's presence in a way that maybe on normal days you don't. So you spend more time in prayer, spend more time in worship, spend more time in his word, Go for a walk. Do something quiet with that time that otherwise you'd be, you know, trying to decide where to go and what to eat. Um, but go in with anticipation, spiritual anticipation, and I think that you're going to see a lot of spiritual gain in, in response to that. So does that make sense? Are we good? All right. Fasting. Woo! Um, all right. Let's go ahead and pray, and, uh, and then I'll let you guys go to lunch, right? Because now you're hungry. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together in your presence. Seriously, Lord, we are, we are just humbled that, God, to know that you are here, that you love us, that you're willing to meet us right where we are. God, we admit that we are broken. We admit that we uh, gloss over our own sin, that we think to ourselves that we're all good when we're not good. We know that you love us and that we have value, but God, sometimes we have to sit with our own brokenness so that we can truly become whole and healthy and we can bring, uh, we can find our, 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 our journey, our place towards healing. God, this whole season of Lent is about preparing our hearts to be able to celebrate and to truly wrap around the understanding of your death and resurrection. That, God, we don't just roll and rip right through it, but, God, we set aside time and reflection to understand why this thing, the gospel, what's called good news, is really, really good news for me. Like the best news ever because I was dead to myself. And God, I was out of relationship with you. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take my sin upon himself so that I could be made whole again. What great news that is. Unless I contend with my own brokenness, I cannot receive that love. God, help us in this area of fasting Help uh, our understanding beyond head. God, give us a heart understanding for why this is important and how this could be valuable 
for us. Give us the courage and the willing, uh, willingness to try something new that we haven't done. Give us the desire to do something different today so that we might, we just might see a different response tomorrow. We love you. We thank you, God, for just a wonderful time to worship in your presence and with others this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.